Welcome to Foolish Voices, a Company of Fools podcast. Company of Fools is a professional theater company based in Sun Valley, Idaho, and is a proud part of the Sun Valley Museum of Art. More information can be found online at svmoa.org. Welcome to Foolish Voices. I'm Scott Palmer, Producing Artistic Director of Company of Fools. And on this show, we talk to a wide range of theater artists, both here in Sun Valley and all across the world, about how the current global health crisis is impacting their work, about their creative lives, and about their hopes for the future of our art form. Please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at svmoa.org. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking to one of the most foolish of the fools, Allie Weplow. Allie is a company artist with Company of Fools, and she first came to Idaho for the Fools' 2007 production of the Spitfire Grill and just finally made Idaho her home in 2015. Took her long enough. Allie is so grateful to live in a community with such a vibrant theater scene, and she's happy to have worked with The Spot, Sawtooth Productions, St. Thomas Playhouse, and the musical duo, The Beverly Lovers. She's a proud member of the Loud family, in the words of her father, and Allie grew up on inside jokes about potatoes and trapping ideas in Tupperware. Welcome to Foolish Voices, Allie Weplow. Thank you so much for having me. Um, talk to me about this Tupperware thing. <laughs> I love that you read that out loud on a podcast. That's you, like what I did You sent it today. to me in your bio. I, <laughs> I confess I wrote it. Um, I was trying to think about sharing something with our audience that they didn't know about me. And I, this whole situation that we're in now has made me so grateful for the people that I have and the world that I live in. And that started with my incredible family. I think um, my parents and my brother and sister are silly in the most contagious thought-provoking kind of challenging way and that's made me who I am and I miss it and when I go home I just wait for everything to be a clever joke oh so the Tupperware yeah my um my dad used to joke about um you know he would take a container of Tupperware and lift the lid and then burp into it and close it and then say hey come here come here and you'd get over near the Tupperware and he would lift the lid and the burp would come back out in your face he <laughs> so sounds <you> charming <laughs> <laughs> you could trap a secret in there or an idea for a project or all manner of things we would um sometimes give him uh as a Christmas present like an empty jar with a label on it of things he might need for later jokes yeah jokes and and also a remarkably cheap christmas gift uh, so. <laughs> so how are you holding up how 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 have things been for you the last few weeks um things have been okay you know um i'd say i panic on some level about once a day uh that's probably normal and healthy at this point um i have no real problem with staying in my house all the time. I love being at home and 
reading and playing games and napping is my favorite. Um, <laughs> but then the worry of what's going on outside that I can't see or um, feel like I can't help with, um, that's a big source of anxiety. How are you handling that? Um, I'm trying to be gentle with myself. I hope that is something that um, everybody is doing at this point in time. Um, being somebody that deals with anxiety on and off all the time in life, I get a lot out of mindful breathing, just, you know, taking some time to disconnect from all of the gadgets and all of the things around me and just listen to my own breathing to just feel it in and out for a few minutes, just reconnect with myself. And that calms me down. Good. That is, that is fantastic advice. I, I have also been finding myself, particularly in the evenings, right when I go to bed, just realizing that I've spent 12 or 14 hours in this incredible state of constant tension. Yes. Um, and I, I go lay down on the bed with my dog and he cuddles up next to me and we just sort of lay there together and breathe. He sometimes snores, which can be a little distracting, but, um, but it, is, it is also adorable. So that is really great advice. Do you think, um, thank you. Do you think that he knows the difference? Can he tell that something is different? He, he can. I think uh, the two things that have been really fascinating is number one, as you know, my husband, Brian, is a, is a writer. He's a novelist. Yes. And, and he, um, he has worked from the small cave that is his office alone at home for years. So this is no different for him. The only major difference is that I am constantly texting him from across the <laughs> asking if he wants a cup of coffee. Can I make him tea? Does he want lunch? And he's like, oh my God, I've been managing my own life alone in this house for a long time. <laughs> but the dog, the dog it has for the first was for the first couple of days super happy to have us both here. And now he like has a degree of tension. He splits his time between Brian's office, which is at the very far back of the house and the dining room, which is where I've set up my office and my little ridiculous podcast studio. Um, and he is just, the dog is just constantly wanting to be held. He just wants to be right up on your chest and, and he puts his little head on your chest and he's, he's um, clearly, clearly an instinctively trained comfort dog. So Aww. he's the best. You should come over and hang out with him. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. No. Um, I do think that uh, dogs know when we are feeling differently. Um, you remind me of a time that uh, when I lived with my parents, we had a dog who um, had some kind of brain abnormality that made her have seizures. And the first time this ever happened, um, we were just sitting on the couch and she had a seizure and my parents took her to the animal emergency room. And uh, when she came back home again and I said hi and how glad I was that she was okay, she came over and just put her hands on my shoulders and looked in my eyes like to tell me she was okay. And I went, wow. oh, dogs know. Yeah. They know. I think they do know. My cat couldn't possibly care less. To be honest. 
And somehow I feel like that's a that's a comforting relationship for it you. It totally is. It, it's <laughs> one of the things that I love most is my cat Agnes, who is uh, amazing. She um, she's just like meh. It's all fine. What's the problem? Stop freaking out. Her name is Agnes. Agnes. She's all set. She's set. She's named after Agnes Moorhead from The Witch. Yes. She's a beautiful little black kitty cat. Yeah, love it. Um, have you experienced uh, any uh, direct impacts on your creative or work life as a result of this? I have, you know, um, who hasn't at this point? Um, uh, in terms of theater jobs, I was getting ready to go into rehearsal for a show at The Spot here in um, Sun Valley. Uh, we were going to do a production of Stupid Fucking Bird. Um, and I was having a little coaching help from Audra Honeaker, also uh, part of the Company of Fools, because it's a part that she has played before. So uh, I was madly trying to uh, build up my skills on the ukulele, because that's what this play calls for. Um, and now I hope it's just postponed and will happen later. But it's an amazing thing when we do uh, theater and we build characters, we get intensely into some project like playing hours of ukulele every day. And then when the show is done, we just turn that focus on something else. Yeah. And you also work for the community library, right? Yes. And how, how's, what's going on with the community library related to this? Tell us, update us about what's going on. On the library? I'm so glad you asked. Um, the library is still very active. Uh, we are working from home and that's been um, busier than I anticipated. You know, the community library in Ketchum and the Haley library um, have all kinds of digital resources available for everyone to use um, for free at home. And so we're taking a lot of phone calls from people who have never checked out an ebook and want to see um, what that's all about. It's been, uh, it's been a really lovely uh, connecting thing to just check in with people all over town and hear how, how they're surviving. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, the, the all the libraries in the valley are are incredible resources, and people should go online and figure out how to make use of them during these challenging times. I think yes. it's it's so great to hear that so many people are turning to the arts during yes. this time. Yes, we love that. They can't we come to the that. theater, but they can read books and plays and listen to music and do all that kind of stuff. Um, you. You came here in 2007 for a production of the Spitfire Grill, but you didn't actually move here for another eight years until 2015? Yes. Why? Why did it take you so long? <laughs> I know. You came, what, twice? And that was it. And then I was in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who could come to this place and not fall in love with it? I challenge you. I t- <laughs> it's just such a wonderful town. I mean, the the first time that I came to visit, I got to the uh, Friedman Memorial Airport at night, so it was dark, and I didn't get to see what the landscape looked like. And then when I got up in the morning and I saw the mountains, I had never seen mountains like that before. I was taking pictures of the parking lot at the grocery store and sending them to people like, look at these mountains. I was so amazed. 
Um, and I think traveling in general, that's just the kind of thing that um, your eyes open to is that there is, there's so much amazing beauty all over the world. Um, and it's different, different places that you go. Um, so I came here and did this Pitfire Grill and it was such an incredible experience um, and got to know so many of the people that um, I love so much and are like my um, second family now. Uh, but there was not as much theater work as in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia. So I would go back and forth. I would come here and spend a couple of months putting together a show and then go back home to Richmond and do some shows just back and forth. Um, and then eventually uh, we got to the point where my husband found an office job uh, with the Sun Valley Museum of Art and um, it required us moving out here and we had about a half second where we looked at each other and went, do you want to move? Yes. <laughs> and I love it here. It is, the sense of community is incredible. There's so much opportunity. Um, I'm not a big snow person, honestly. No? No. So you'd think, why Sun Valley? But um, the summertime is beautiful. That's their yeah. secret. Yeah. I, I am also not a big snow fan. No, but you like cold. I do love it. I do love the cold. I'm not just, I just don't like the snow. I, although I keep telling people that my favorite thing to do is drink a glass of scotch and watch it snow from inside my warm house. Yes. And lucky for you, you can do that right now. It's March true. 31st. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I know it started snowing yesterday. I was like, what new hell is this? <laughs> why, why, why do you think I, I, I and I, I want you to really, really think about this question before you answer it, Ali Wetlow. <laughs> why is there so much art in a community this small? Art is the glue that brings it all together. Um, we have, we live in a place with such diversity of ability and talent and experience and background. And the way that we come together and share and aggregate and build on all of those um, diverse backgrounds is to make art together. I, um, I went to the uh, middle school theater show at, at Hemingway Steam School, and these kids um, in middle school had made this, um, they had read a book for class called Fortunately the Milk, that's kind of a fantasy story, and using their um, steam skills of building and making and bringing different subject areas together, they made a whole world full of characters out of basically cardboard and their imaginations. And what is going to do that for us except art? Art is the culmination of everything else that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, that's a, what an incredible story. I think, um, I, I, you know, one of the things, like you said, I was here twice and then got this job and moved here. And I was like, 
holy moly, there's a ton of stuff happening. Yes. I mean, there's just constantly in this community, there are lectures and classes and stuff for kids and three, four different theater companies and the Sun Valley Music Festival and the opera and the ballet. I mean, it's unbelievable how much incredible world-class art of all kinds happens in this valley. Um, and you are, you are involved in a lot of that. I mean, you work with The Spot and Sawtooth Productions and St. Thomas Playhouse, and you and your husband, David, also have um, your own little duo band called the Beverly Lovers. Yes. You, can you explain to me why, why that's the name? Oh, yes. <laughs> so um, we do, we perform music that um, is about interesting vocal harmony. That's what we're good at. Things that have great two-part vocal harmony. And so we're really inspired by the Everly Brothers um, and love older music. Um, and the Everly Brothers have that great kind of sound, you know, where they're, they're each singing a part and one is not necessarily the melody while the other's the harmony. They're both there and they need each other. So we love the Everly Brothers. And then um, my mother-in-law's name is Beverly. Uh, so we called her and told her that as a play on words, um, we were going to call the band the Beverly Lovers instead of the Everly Brothers. And she laughed and said, have you been drinking? <laughs> had you? Had you been drinking? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh... That makes all the sense in the world. I was like, first of all, I don't know who Beverly is and I'm confused oh. about it. And I mean, I'm totally, you know, I'm not going to judge you and David's no. relationship, whatever you want to do. It's all good with me. <laughs> uh, but now that I know that it's an Everly Brothers play on words, it makes so much more sense. And I'm and so open to another name. So when you, <laughs> when you think of one. Working on it. Agnes and the Alley Cats. Agnes and the Alley Weplow Cats. There you go. I'm terrible at stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, believe you. So talk to me about some of your favorite roles working with Company of Fools. Um, what a great question. It's Company of Fools is, it's been so, such a big part of my life. A lot of it was like, school or professional training where I really learned what it means to be um, an actor, a storyteller. Um, and since I moved here about five years ago, um, I've been surprised how much that lesson continues. I swear I'm going to answer your question. I believe um, you. <laughs> so within the past few years, you know, our dear friend, John Glenn, died, um, and he did so much for all of our lives, taught me so much personally, and with his passing, I worried about um, not having that kind of guidance anymore, not having um, teachers to inspire me anymore, but uh, it turns out things keep going and there are always new teachers to be found. So this past, these past couple of years, um, I met two new great teachers uh, that changed my life. One being Natalie Battistone, who directed um, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. Um, and I was just really 
humbled to learn that this new person um, could bring great new learning into my life. You know, Edward Tulane was one of those plays where we, there was crap all over the stage <laughs> that was just crap to begin with. And then it became magical because uh, people imbued the things around them with magic. And so Natalie taught me that uh, new teachers will come my way. And then this past summer, you and I did Crimes of the Heart. Um, and that was an incredible experience, um, getting to know each other. And, you know, theater is such personal work um, that to share this most personal thing with you, uh, whom I didn't know, was scary. What if this person, yeah. what if this person is not a good teacher or partner for me um but then of course you're the best and here we are oh now now <laughs> you're already on the podcast you don't have to <laughs> um i <clears throat> i had the exact same experience i mean you know not only coming into a new position but also coming in after john's passing and i mean he you know is just this towering figure in this community and and certainly in the history of Company of Fools it was really intimidating and I'm not someone who gets intimidated very often but <laughs> um but honestly that the you know the work that we did on crimes with you and David and Audra and all the rest of the folks that were involved in that show I mean I was like oh yeah oh this can be fine they're lovely yes. they're they're lovely <laughs> they seem well, so nice what a and gamble you I know. know I was terrified um, so thank you, you should for have been. I know. And you are kind of scary. I know. I know. <laughs> I scare myself sometimes. I'm really trying to work on calming down. Yeah. And just stopping being so frightening <laughs> as a human being in the world. I mean, it's you carrying around that giant machete and you know, <laughs> wearing those I... terrifying shoes all the time, you know. Well. I might have to kick butt. You never know. <laughs> you never know. At any moment. At any moment. It could be right now. <laughs> we're, social distancing. We're, so, we're, so, we're social distancing. We're social distancing. Social distancing, yes. Yeah. Um, I get so excited just about life in general and about, um, I don't know, the school and research kind of part of theater that um, uh, I take just books and books of notes. And then to get to... Um, talk to you about, you know, uh, we come to Crimes of the Heart, this play that's about um, three sisters um, living in the South uh, a few decades ago and what their lives were like then. I bring to it lots of thinking about um, mental health, and I'm so glad that I got to uh, play this character that told a story of mental health and of uh, women's evolving role in the world over the past few decades. And then you brought all of the color of Southern Gothic literature and the place and time and how did that affect um, these women and where they were coming from. And so I'm coming at it with all of my overexcitement and you're coming at it with all of your pretending you don't care and together we make something that we couldn't have done on our own it's true I, I, yeah I, it was a great show I, it's you, addicting it is addicting i know 
I miss it. I miss it real bad right now. I miss it real bad too. What are we going to do? I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're the, the fools we meet every day at nine 30 and we talk with the staff and we are, we are, we have a plan and a contingency plan for that and a contingency plan for the contingency plan. And, you know, we're trying to just figure out how we handle um, how we make decisions about a future, which is unclear and uncertain, um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, one of the great things about being in a community that has so such deep roots in, in creativity and in, in, in the arts is that there are artists here who are willing to kind of roll with the punches, right? That's yes. one of the, and that doesn't happen everywhere. I mean, we've been having, I've been having podcast conversations with people for the last week and a half, including friends of the fools that are in New York who are saying, oh, there's no work. There's nothing uh, going on, right? Uh, like there is no chance. Um, we don't know what's going to happen on Broadway. We don't know what's going to happen off Broadway. And I think there is something to be said for this community here and the, the flexibility and the willingness of artists to literally roll with the punches that I think is going to mean that we are going to be just fine. I think we're going we're gonna to be able to figure it out. Oh, and I want it to get to be exciting, too. I want, you know, um, cultivating a new landscape to get to be the thing that we do. What, what, can, do you, what do you mean by that? I mean, the way that things work going forward may um, go back to being relatively the same, or it may totally change. The way that we make and share art may totally change and I want that to be the exciting thing do we do more um things that are uh virtual like you and I meeting right now um do we do more radio plays more recordings of theater you know because of um unions and the rules that surround um making and sharing art that uh, protect us and make sure people get equal pay, uh, maybe it's time for those things to change, that we do a show live and you can come see it on stage. But if you're somebody who needs um, to separate yourself, uh, you can also watch a live stream. Maybe that is headed our way. How do you feel about that as an artist as an, and as an actor? Um, I feel excited about it. I feel like art has always been a response to what's happening. And uh, what's happening right now is totally new territory. So let's match it with a totally new response. Let's do what we have to do to continue to connect people with art. Let's not let it die. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, you know, one of the things that I've been struck by is that theater has been here before, right? Um, we have, uh, I was having a uh, reading through a bunch of stuff the other day about theater in London during the Blitz, mm. and how, you know, the Germans are bombing London, and yet people were still going to the theater. 
right? They, they made choices about moving their theater spaces way underground into basements. And instead of being above ground, they moved them underground. And certainly, you know, all you have to do is look at Shakespeare and what happened with him uh, during the plague in London. You know, he just, he left London with a bunch of his friends and they went touring into places that weren't affected by the plague. And he wrote yes. King Lear, for God's sake, during the middle of during the middle of a lockdown. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he wrote a bunch of cool stuff. So, I mean, theater always finds a way, right? Like we we are the responders. We are the ones who who understand the need for that that human beings have for storytelling as a sense of connection and 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 redemption and healing. Um, yes. and we always step up. We always do. And I think the, the biggest question is how are we going to do the, that in this unique specific circumstance? I mean, are you, are you, you, you sound excited about the idea of things like virtually connecting with audiences. And I, I, I really feel like it democratizes theater, right? Yes. Like the ability to say, Hey, friends in, in Richmond, Virginia, Ali's going to be doing this show this summer. We know you can't get here to buy a ticket, but you could buy a ticket online and watch it live streamed, right? Like we can open ourselves up through that technology to really democratize access to theater, which, you know, I, I am all about access for, traditionally excluded audiences, right? There yes. are lots of people in the world who just don't feel welcome or invited or they don't feel like they can afford to go to theater. So I'm all about that. I'm interested in what your thoughts are as an actor about mm -hmm. the challenges of doing that kind of work. Uh, you know, you are someone who I have seen, I have witnessed you do this, that you respond and feed off of and are energized by your connection as an actor and as an artist to the people in the room, yes. right? Thank you. You're welcome. Did you not know that? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't know that about yourself? Um, no, I, of course I do know. And it's the thing that keeps me coming back. It's the thing that, um, that grabbed me in the first place and that uh, hooked me for life. Um, it's the good and the bad, you know, it's the anxiety and the calm, the, um, the need for connection with other people and to feed off of one another's energy sometimes totally overwhelms me and I have to take a step back. And sometimes I gotta dive in and get all that I can soak up because there is nothing else like it in the world. Um, so I hope that we are in a real place of opportunity. I think about how um, a few days ago, I, you know, they're showing movie theater movies um, online now. Right. And so uh, you can buy a movie ticket to go to the movies at home. And I did. I watched um, the new Emma and it was wonderful. Was it? Yes. It was oh, good. So good. I, it was on my list and I, I always get very nervous about film adaptations of Jane Austen, but I, I will watch it since you say it's good. Yes, you should. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of pressure on me. Yeah, um, I'm going to come back to you if it's terrible. You're <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the language of it made me go, oh, we have to keep doing theater. We have to keep hearing people speak this way. And we have to keep thinking about how the past and the present are alike and not alike. And theater theater is going to be the thing to do that. So could, could we have a similar situation where um, 
the rules we have in place uh, to protect us professionally uh, are adjusted to the point um, that we can continue to survive uh, financially as an organization and share our art um, with maybe even more people than before. Does that mean um, we could do streams of plays um, just for people within our county? Uh, could it be lots wider than that? Um, that part I don't know. I would be the most excited if um, like Shakespeare and pals, we could um, have the actors be together in the same space um, and then just have the audience be somewhere else. Right. Um, maybe it happens that we start sitting farther apart in theaters, but we still all come together in one place because we don't want to lose uh, the great thing about theater compared to um, movies and TV is that we are all sharing something live while it's happening. Yeah, I mean, that that is the, the sort of thing that wakes me up in the middle of the night. I mean, as I'm hearing from all of my artistic director colleagues all across the country who are like, oh my God, we're going online. Oh my God, we're showing videos of you know, recordings of previous shows and we're trying to deal with equity, giving us permission to do that. Yeah. I go, oh God, if I wanted to work in television, Film. I would have gone into television, right? No, please. Um, you know, I want to be, and it's so weird. I was just having a podcast with my friend, Jennifer Dick, who is the Associate Artistic Director of Glasgow Repertory Company in Scotland. And she, she, she sort of said, we want to be in the same room, breathing the same air. And I said, well, actually not, not right at the moment. We don't, <laughs> right? Like not right at this particular second, we don't want to be doing that. But, but, you know, we know from scientific research that, that an audience who is together in a room, their heartbeats align, their breathing yes. aligns. <clears throat> they have spikes in their endorphins and in their the chemicals in their brain at the same time when they're yes. engaged in a communal live activity like that. Um, it breaks down barriers. We see people that we that don't look like us in the yes. theater. We um, we you know we have a shared story that even if we don't have anything else in common with the other people in the theater, when we see a show, we now have that experience in common. Together, right? yes. Yeah, those are the things that, that make me a little panicky about yes. this idea that that we will sort of, our, that our instinct is to move automatically to this kind of high-tech world of sharing things. But I agree with you. I think being thoughtful and smart about how we retain the most precious elements of live theater and that sense of community while also making sure that we're not limiting it to people um, who may as a result of their physical health or their distance or their economics can't therefore participate in what brings us so much joy, right? Yes. We, need to, we need to be really thoughtful about all of that. How do we serve all of those people? How do we include all of those people? Well, I will expect a report on my desk by the end of the day, Allie Wicklow. You can- Double spaced. <laughs> no. I'm gonna Times, find the, the Times biggest New font. Times New Roman font 11, Aww. single spaced. Regular margins. Are you gonna <sighs> measure the margins? I am, I have a ruler right here. Just Cause you know subject. you can fudge them just a little bit. And uh, I know, really I will, no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not falling for your wily tricks. <laughs> 
Mm. Um, well, you, you have brought me a, a great deal of hope for the future and for our community. I think with, with folks like you and David and all the rest of the fools here in the Valley, with that level of commitment of just like, we're going to figure it out. We're going to make it work. And we're going to keep it open and we're going to keep doing it. I think we're all going to be fine. Are there things that you would suggest our audiences think about as we move forward? Um, I think, yes. I think as we are more um, concerned than ever with supporting local business and taking part in um, our local economy, make the arts a part of that. Let's encourage our artistic experiences, and we do so well with this already here um, in the Wood River Valley. Let's make things participatory. Um, so I hope you are finding an opportunity to create art, you know, doing a, a concert for your family in your own house or on your porch, and that when there's an opportunity to be in a play um, together again, you will do that. Call your friends on the phone and read a script or a book of poetry together because the sharing of it um, is where the magic lies. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been amazing. The number, the number of virtual happy hours I've been invited to, <laughs> uh, that, that all that, which are great. I mean, they've been super fun people I haven't seen in years and people from all over the world saying, I'm going to open a bottle of wine. I want to chat with you. And it all always turns almost immediately. It turns to sharing stories about our, most recent artistic experiences, right? Like people are, oh, I'm reading this great book or, oh my God, I haven't listened to this Prince album in 15 years. Or, <laughs> you know, I watched this great movie or I'm, I'm binge watching Ozark on Netflix, right? Like we immediately begin to share our artistic experiences with each other. And I think that's born out of a desire to have shared artistic experiences. Right? Yes, to, to form opinions and share them and let our friends change them. It's uh, candy for your brain. It's candy for your brain. Eek! Well, I expect my invitation for such a virtual happy hour. Um, I, I will. Yes, I will. I will. A absolutely. I tend to like to be the one to be invited just <laughs> because of my own sense of self-aggrandizement, but I will happily make sure that you get invited to a, does David have to come? No. Great. A Agnes does. Agnes the cat. Yes. Yes. Agnes and the Alley Weplow cats. <laughs> I'm making t-shirts. Oh God. <laughs> the way you're going to survive the, the pandemic is by making t-shirts. Just with a Sharpie and uh, <laughs> an old t-shirt. Got it. I love it. Those will, those will become hugely valuable in the near love future. I every one of them. <laughs> well, this has been a, a really fantastic conversation. Thank you for joining us for Foolish Voices. I'm Scott Palmer, producing artistic director of Company of Fools. If you've enjoyed this episode, as I know you have, please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at our parent organization's website. That's the Sun Valley Museum of Art at svmoa.org. In this episode, I have had the delightful pleasure of speaking with Ali Weplow, who is a company artist with Company of Fools, and she's also performed throughout the country, but most locally here with the Spot, Sawtooth Productions, St. Thomas Playground, uh, sorry, St. Thomas Playhouse, and with the musical duo, The Beverly Lovers, the name of which we now all understand. <laughs>
Uh, I'm going to send you a Tupperware bowl with uh, some ideas trapped inside. <laughs> I'm going to send you a t-shirt. <laughs> Signed. I love it. I love it. This is the new barter system. Thank yes. you so much for joining us for Foolish Voices, Allie. Thank you, Scott. We'll talk to you again soon. Be safe, okay? You too. Bye.